can have broadband. I mean, true, you know, fiber-fed broadband. Hi again, this is Lisa Gonzalez from the Institute for Local Self-Reliant. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This week, Chris talks with Dan Olson, General Manager of WindemNet in southwestern Minnesota. WindemNet has served the local community with fiber service. In addition to the town of WindemNet, the network serves nearby communities, creating a regional effort. Farmers, manufacturers, government, education, business, and even residents depend on the affordable fiber service. Over the years, Dan has collected numerous stories of economic development directly related to the presence of the network, and he shares those with Chris. Regardless of the stories we're about to hear from Dan, WindemNet is often viewed skeptically, and sometimes its success is questioned. In the interview, Dan and Chris touch on the concept of success for publicly owned networks. Should munis be judged on the same criteria as Comcast, AT&T, or CenturyLink? Or is there more to success and profitability in the bottom line? Here are Chris and Dan to talk about how WindemNet has defined its own success in rural Minnesota. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and I'm here today with someone I've been trying to get on the show since we first launched it, Uh, Dan Olson, General Manager of Wyndham, uh, Wyndham Net in Wyndham, Minnesota, an incredibly uh, interesting municipal network in a small community in southwestern Minnesota. Welcome to our show. Good morning, Chris. Um, I'm really, really glad to have you come in. You have uh, there's a lot of anecdotes that come out of Wyndham that I use when I'm talking with other communities, and so I, I'm just excited to get caught up on what's been happening lately, and uh, to make sure that all of our listeners know about your network. Why don't we Why don't we start with um, the referendums? How did How did Wyndham come to have this fiber to the home network? Wyndham, the city of Wyndham, had operated a cable TV system since about 1982. And the cable TV system was in need of being upgraded or replaced. And so a group was formed, and they studied all the options. And at that time, the best option was, well, let's go fiber the home because, you know, that's the greatest, newest technology. And this was all in about 2003, 2004. And it was decided, well, if we're going to do fiber the home, we, you know, let's do the triple play and actually what I call the four play and get data on there and Internet voice with it. So it was packaged together, put out, and rolled out to a referendum that, you know, here's what we're going to do. The first one actually failed with it, couldn't get enough votes to pass, you know, doing upgrades. So it was shelved and said, well, we'll just, you know, maintain the cable system. Right. And actually, I mean, this is something that we've seen in a number of places, I think, where you have uh, you have an initial referendum and people aren't very engaged and not really sure what's going on. But when the news comes out afterward, people figure out, wait a minute, what what just happened? Then they become more interested and they can be frustrated that they didn't have passed the referendum, right? And that was part of it and part of it. And I was actually, you know, not here in the area, but Dennis Nelson, the former city administrator that was, you know, kind of not spearheading but managing the project, was in, after it failed, was uh, the incumbent. And we the city had talked to the incumbent, hey, are you going to roll a DSL and everything? And they said, yes, yes, yes. Well, an ad appeared in the paper, the local papers, that DSL was coming everywhere except for Wyndham. So the ministerial association then approached Dennis and said, hey, wait a minute, we've been kind of duped because, you know, they fought us, got everybody to vote against the referendum that we were going to have, you know, some form of higher than dial-up speed here, and now we're not getting it. So the ministerial association said, well, let's put the referendum back out. This time it passed above 80%, 
and that started the process of you know let's build fiber to the home and you know construction was started actually in that 2004 time frame with you know first trial customers turned up and actually paying customers in 2005 with you know high speed internet fiber delivered. How many people live in Wyndham? Uh, the population is right at around 4,500. So it's a it's a small community, and it's surrounded by a number of other small communities that are mostly farming areas. And basically, you um, had to take action or risk being left behind. Correct. And we said, well, let's grab our bootstraps. If you know we don't do it for ourselves, nobody will. And let's move forward with it, and you know, get this. And there's, you know, they've seen the advantages of having the system in, and it's you know starting to prove out that way. And so I want to just, uh, for our listeners who are either familiar or not, I want to say that the network continued forward and eventually received the stimulus funding uh, to be able to expand uh, these incredibly fast connections to nearby communities. Uh, that's uh, turned into a project called the Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services. And the city of Wyndham did partner with the eight other communities and did receive stimulus program. Wyndham access the knock and feeds this, but... Uh, the city of Wyndham, we're also, you know, a provider. We've got a lot of partners now, and we're actually, you know, a what we call a data center. We're actually becoming a point of presence here in southwest Minnesota with, you know, multiple other carriers. You know, some of the big big guys, as we call them, are here located, and, you know, we're providing service for them too. So it's worked out pretty well. Right. You're the you're the sort of the hub. I, I just want to demystify two terms there. You said you're the, the NOC for the region, which is the uh, Network Operations Center. It means that other communities don't have to build a reinforced tornado-proof building that has diesel generators for backup and air conditioning and all that stuff, and they can monitor the network from there. And so you having made that investment benefits everyone else who can piggyback on it. Um, and then being the point of presence basically means that you've got some high-capacity lines that come in there, and then people can go there to you to, to meet up, basically, uh, because networks typically have like these trunk lines that go into an area, and they hit a point of presence where others can join them. Correct. That is correct now, and we actually have a presence in you know Minneapolis, not the 511 building. That's part of it. So we're you know connected globally now, and we also have multiple routes out to the east of Mankato to Sioux Falls, and you know working on routes into Iowa now to you know kind of be a you know mini Midwest stop. Yeah, you're not you're not too far from Spencer and all those other Iowa munis, so I'm sure it'd be nice to be linked into them. Um, right. But let's uh, let's go back into Wyndham, and uh, what are some of the benefits that the community has because you're operating this uh, fiber network? Well, they've you know they've had fiber to their home since 2005, and you know back then it was you know, a huge leap for them, and you know broadband adoption is it's steadily growing. It's nice to sit and look at you know graphs over the years of usage, and with it the other thing is, is you know some very reasonably priced service with it. Uh, you know we have a you know a full saw switch sitting there that we can provide actual digital services on the voice for businesses and residents with it. Uh, high-speed internet, uh, you know, we've got a standard offering of packages, but we've always got an asterisk on the bottom that says, well, you know, if you want a gig, just call us and we'll put widgets on the ends and provide it. If you want 10 gigs, same thing with it. You know, we, we hear, the, you know, the big giggy initiative, well, we've kind of always quietly done that. We've got, you know, Toro Corporation running some gig circuits from building to building with it. The, you know, the community has benefited. Uh, we 
you know, price of services with it. Uh, we provide uh, services to all the municipal buildings that are, you know, city-owned here, and basically, you know, free of charge for all the city facilities with it and running them and some of the initiatives there. Uh, our hospital is able to use us for transport to get to one of their partners. They're a large Sanford affiliate, so we haul their traffic for them now with it. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. The schools, we actually, the schools are serviced by a service co-op that is a partner with us, but we actually haul, you know, the services for the service co-op to get there, so we leverage the network to get them. You know, our schools actually, you know, rolled out iPads to every student. Now I believe every student in school and running up against any more bandwidth and we're able to basically provision that for them and coming up here and work with them. So, you know, the economic benefits are huge. We've, you know, created jobs with it. We've got multiple big projects, but we've also anchored our existing businesses that are sitting here with, you know, as simple as, you know, we've got a small gas station that has three pumps, that credit cards, everything. They actually have cameras to monitor it. The gentleman can sit out at his home and watch what the employees are doing in there and with it, if the tanks need fuel, they call over the broadband network and say, hey, send us another tank load of gas. And so it's anchoring his business. It's making ease of doing business. Just it's there. It's always interesting to me how the economics of these networks plays out because when net networks are judged in the private sector, it's whether or not they're making money. Um, and then you have a network like WyndhamNet where you're providing, first of all, free services to the municipal buildings and to the library. Um, and so there's there's a whole lot of money there that's benefiting the community that's not accounted for. And then on top of that, you have all the cost savings because of the, the prices that you offer. And then the fact that there's competition means that there's lower prices for even those who aren't taking service from you. Uh, and so I think it's really helpful to just run through all those things that you just listed. I mean, the job benefits uh, are incredible, um, but it's it's really interesting how these networks result in so many indirect benefits uh, to the community. Um, but I want to I want to actually turn to a direct benefit. Um, there's a particular example that when uh, most people in Minnesota hear about Wyndham um, and the municipal network, I think this story has been told a lot. Uh, they think of fortune trucking, and so. Can you just walk us through um, what happened with, with Fortune Trucking and, and that you sort of came in and were able to, to work with them and, and help them out? Fortune Trucking is a wonderful story. It's kind of dear to my heart. And I was sitting in my office one day pushing paperwork around as we do, and the owner of Fortune Trucking called me up, and, you know, I'm aware of the gentleman, and he said, you know, asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, what do you need? And he said, well, you know, get out to my office now. So I thought, okay, what's going on? Did we do something wrong? So I got in the truck and drove out there, and they'd spent a considerable amount of money, and they, they said about a mile and a half outside of town. They spent a considerable amount of money due to their growth and great success on a new office building and bought a new phone system and everything, and we're getting ready, ready to turn it up, and they bought services from a a large provider out in the world, and they couldn't deliver it. And he said, well, we've got all this investment sitting here. What am I going to do? He said, I've got another location, you know, in Roswell, New Mexico. Do I send, you know, the staff down there to work because I can't get services? And I said, well, hang on. So we quickly engineered it and jumped through some hoops and said, well, we'll get you fiber out there and we'll get you those, you know, digital PRI 
trunks that you want in, in there and some high-speed Internet. I mean, they literally track the price of fuel throughout routes and, you know, trucking nowadays, the brokerage where a load of cheese comes out and they will get that delivered directly to their buying system and they can bid it immediately and back. And, you know, we're actually, you know, building them a redundant connection now because, you know, the business depends on it. So we got them up and we built it basically. We were completed in four and a half weeks, you know, and that was during that time of trying to find a roll of fiber was fiber was, you know, six to eight weeks out and everything. So we used some friends and favors and got a mile and a half of fiber and built it and turned them up and they were able to maintain their presence here and continue to go. I mean, fortunes continue to grow. I believe they're over that 250 truck mark and it's, it's an amazing story what they do with technology for the trucking industry. It it really is. I mean, it, well, first of all, the whole trucking industry now is just itself fascinating with how computerized everything is and and the need for not just fast connections but reliable connections because if that connection goes down for an hour or two, boy, you're missing contracts, and that's a real problem. You look at the new hour of service laws that have just been mandated on drivers and logs, and where they're at, and where freight's at, and Homeland Security. It's, you know, they've just recently, they've updated their infrastructure inside just to meet these demands, and, you know, trucking's competitive, and yeah, it's 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 simply amazing what they do. Well, in a town of 4,500 people, I mean, that's a pretty significant employer, I'm guessing. Yes, it is, and they employ people, you know, throughout, they've got drivers from all over, and you know, the drivers check in, but their brokerage side of the house is getting large because, you know, they do have this ability to, you know, maintain weather, maintain contacts with trucks, and maintain direct inner office connectivity with other offices and with their customers out there. They can, you know, hook up through the Internet and, you know, customer B has a load of cheese, bang, it's there on their desk. They can bid it and go and, you know, confirm that order in, you know, real-time manner. For me, this is the salient point of something that that came up uh, first that I saw it in a Minnesota Public Radio article in which you were quoted, um, saying that your business plan had called for breaking even in year five of your network. And uh, that was in 2010. And you came within $50,000 of breaking even. Um, Now, some would say, look at that and say, well, that's proof that that Wyndham shouldn't have done it. They lost $50,000. Now, people like me look at that and think, yeah, $50,000. Let's put that on one hand. And in the other hand, we're going to put all the jobs from Fortune Trucking that would have left. We're going to put free services for the schools, the libraries. We're going to put lower prices for the whole community. And wow, you know, there's no local leader on this planet who would rather have $50,000 than all those benefits. It, and exactly, it's very hard to, you know, account for all those dollars that we do in-kind services, and you know, we look at it as infrastructure. You know, we, you know, we build three million. We're building three million dollars worth of roads this year, with it. We're building this broadband, and part of the story also is, is our original business plan called for, you know, roughly fourteen hundred drops. Well, we put in twenty-two hundred. So you're saying that it was uh, much more popular than you expected with residents. When you're successful, the problem is is that you have to buy a lot more capital equipment and trying to recover those costs. Your you know your business model moves out further, and you know something you know one of our bad points is we don't toot our horn and we don't have an analyst sitting here 
crunching numbers constantly and, you know, going out to the naysayers saying, well, here, you know, we don't hire a, a person to look at this stuff and say, here, here's why what it was and actually nail it down. We're so busy taking care of the people that want broadband networks hooked up and run with it. And, you know, we've, we, you know, we're doing wonderful. We're actually, you know, we're governed by a board of, you know, the city council. We look at it. We keep rates low and affordable for everybody and try to go it. And it's not about being a huge profit center. You know, last year we actually made money. We, you know, hit it over, I think we're about $22,000 ahead. And that was with taking on a lot of projects and continued growth with it, trying to, you know, fund the capital and keep moving forward. So, yeah, you know, and they say, well, geez, you lost 50000 Well, yeah, but we also, you know, bought $400,000 of the capital equipment to put new customers on. And some people can say, well, yeah, when's that going to stop? And we kind of say, well, geez, we kind of hope it doesn't stop the growth. Cause that means cause people are moving in and buying those houses and moving in, and we're having to do installs and with it. So it's it's a good thing. Right, and for people who aren't aware, I, I cover this in my uh, case study on uh, Bristol, Virginia, uh, BVU, the network, because they had a similar issue where, you know, when you have a business plan and you expect a certain number of people to sign up, well, that's millions of dollars of equipment. If twice that many people sign up, then you need to find millions more dollars to be able to put that equipment on the side of their houses, and uh, and that's what you were just describing. It's an, it's a it's a hard problem to solve, but. But you came through it really well. You adjusted the business plan. Um, you know, the network has has done far more than breaking even in the sense of all the benefits it's delivered. Um, and so let's let's get into that right now with some of the some of the benefits you've seen more recently um, in terms of companies recognizing that Wyndham is a great place to get um, connected to the internet. Sure, and you know we look at it, and we've got some. You know, we're a small town, but we have a great anchor, what I'd say is an anchor company here, Toro, Toro, and they have a large manufacturing facility here. They employ, you know, upwards of 700 people in this town with it. You know, we've I've got a great relationship with their director of information technology there, and we, we provide him with whatever he needs, and it's easy doing business. You know, he handles some of the business for other Toro operations here with it. So they're able to, you know, we've got fiber directly built into them. They've got, just because of their success, and they've got off-site locations. I think there's up to six off-site locations within the Wyndham area and a few out in the SMBS network that we've got one-gig circuits built back. I mean, it's, you know, the just-in-time manufacturing if in an inventory and, you know, knowing how many nuts and bolts you have throughout all these locations and needing them back, it's barcode right in and, when a nut leaves, uh, you know, warehouse number one heading for the main plant, they know it in real time with it, and that's how they're connected. So, you know, and that goes back to ease of doing business. They're able to get these circuits provisioned by a simple phone call, and we turn them on and go, and they can concentrate on doing the real thing in business, which is, you know, building snowblowers and lawnmowers and, you know, what they sell for product. If a company called up a, a major telephone company operating in, in southwest Minnesota and asked for a gig circuit, how do you think that would compare to the service you deliver? Or is it even available? Uh, it's not available probably in our service area that we know of with it. If they call up and ask for a gig circuit to us at the city of Wyndham, they're basically, you know, I'm going to be on the phone with them and say, okay, you want where to where? 
and we start provisioning it. And typically, we've turned them up as quick as same day. Wow. I mean, I just, I, in my experience up here in St. Paul, you know, the the the, the core, uh, the metro core of Minnesota. Um, I can't imagine how long it would take to get a a gig circuit. I mean, I'm I don't think I'm I'm sure they're available. Um, but the fact that you can do that, turn that around so quickly when, you know, the competitors to you basically can't even deliver that kind of service or if they did, I mean, I don't know what, what we've seen in pricing elsewhere suggests to me that it would be tens of thousands of dollars in an upfront one-time install fee, and then probably 10,000 or $20,000 per month beyond that from, uh, from a major provider. And typically what we do is we look at it and say, you know, we, if, you know, and the reality is, you know, if Toro leaves Wyndham, we've got bigger problems. So let's make it easy. Let's accommodate them. Let's turn it up. Let's say, hey, let's go over and meet with them. Go, do, you know, do you, what, what do you want? And let's get it turned up for them. You know, we've got another business here in town, Big Game Tree Stands, for all the people that hunt out there. And their corporate headquarters is here. And they just actually bought another building, spent, uh, you know, quite a bit of fun money remodeled it and made it to corporate headquarters. They still have their other building and they wanted uh, interconnectivity in between the buildings. And we actually turned up basically a dark fiber circuit we did for them there. So, you know, they, they've got a full gig in between the two buildings with it. And then they buy a, you know, 100 meg internet service to feed those buildings with interconnectivity-wise and they can do their data back up to the other buildings here. Plus, we do their voice and everything else. And, you know, we just had their remodel and we were in there and provisioned everything so the day they moved everything was transferred to the new building and it all took you know it just took place are there are there any other um examples of uh this economic development you want to run through before we end the interview we have a very nice development the uh Wyndham economic development authority uh owned a piece of property 80 acres just on it's in the city limits just on the north side on highway 71 we had uh, fast sprayers uh, decided to move to the town and actually expand. They're going to keep their presence. Uh, that's out in the country, about 10 miles probably to the east of us here. And they're building a very large building. Whether it's in building process, uh, we actually widened the state highway 71 to five lanes for turn lanes and everything. Uh, put in infrastructure, sewer, water. Uh, there's four miles of gas line going out there. We'll be building the uh, about... Uh, probably close to a half mile of fiber to get in to them. And, you know, these guys, are they build uh, farm sprayers and a lot of that equipment, and they use lasers and computers and CNC machines. And I don't pretend to know their business, but when uh, their customer says, hey, I'm going to send you an AutoCAD file and I want this built, they need to have a broadband, a huge broadband connection to deliver that file. There's... You know, they can't wait for, you know, six hours for that file to trickle in and maybe not happen. They, they want the file. They want it now so they can start working on it to keep their customer happy. They're going to employ up to 90 people here in Wyndham and, you know, continue to grow the operation with it. You know, when they start, their suppliers will then look and they want, you know, they'll probably, you know, build somewhere that, you know, they got to deliver parts and widgets and stuff to them. So why not have direct Internet? You know, our direct connectivity in between the two buildings mm-hmm. with a supplier that can connect with them. So if, you know, Fast needs a bucket of bolts, dang, it's just, there it is. They know they can bring it over and cross. <laughs> so 
be all provisioned to pull that off. So that's a, you know, it's a wonderful project. It brings additional economic growth into the area. You know, I, I should compliment you, I think, because you could have certainly, as a, as a city um, or as a utility, said, if we have this incredible fiber network and we don't share it with our neighbors, then all the jobs will have to come to us and people are going to want to live in Wyndham rather than living in Jackson or, or other nearby places. Um, but you, you've worked out, um, but you've shared it with them and you've helped them to, to build a network that connects them as well. And, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's um, more invitations to expand it further beyond that as time goes on. Um, so I, I do want to return to that in a future show, but you really should be congratulated for not hoarding this investment and, and sharing it with your neighbors. No, and it is. It's, it's regional. We have people that, you know, drive from Wyndham to Jackson to work at Echo, and people from Jackson drive to Wyndham. You know, we're, you know, very rural out here. I mean, we have fiber to a community that has 11 homes in it. And they need it. I mean, you look at the farmers out there. We're we're called daily about you know when can you get fiber down to us and trying to figure out a way because you know farmers are trading grain on the markets you know on a real time basis and you know it's regional economic development. As a matter of fact, we have a wonderful Blandon Foundation grant and we've created a group called the 6090 Technology Triangle and it kind of stretches from Worthington the Bingham Lake back down to Jackson and back to Worthington that, you know, here it is, you could put up a manufacturing facility or a, you know, call center in one and have work-at-home people spread all over a almost three-county area. And they, all the cost of living is reasonable and schools are great and the quality of life is there. You can have broadband. I mean, true, you know, fiber-fed broadband that, you know, the customer service is, you know, spirit enough and you call, we're going to they get the you know, our network breaks. We know what everybody does, and we've got the you know, best staff you could ask for in the world. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show and, and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you, Chris. Be sure to learn more about the network at windhamnet.com. We also have several stories on the network at muninetworks.org, including the story Dan shared with us about fortune transportation. Thanks again for listening to the Broadband Bits podcast. We want your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at communitynets. This show was released on September 17, 2013. Thank you again to the group Break the Bands for their song titled Escape and licensed using Creative Commons. Thank you for listening. Yeah.